You're listening to episode number eight of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Today, our special guest is Vicki Schmidt. Vicki has been a recipient of some of the best and worst healthcare over the past 18 years. She's got a lot to share with us. So today, our conversation really with Vicki is going to be focused on the patient safety and clinician safety polarity. Trust us, you don't want to miss this one. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years. During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing time, money, and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem-solving tactics. It's Tracy and Michelle. We just had a wonderful interview with a fabulous lady, Vicki Schmidt. And she is really, you know, an incredible human being. I mean, there just isn't any other way to describe her, Michelle. I know. I just love that woman. Yeah. And every time I hear her speak, I just think there's so much more we have to learn about her story. And it's such a unique story because it happens over 18 years and everything that she's learned in the healthcare system. Yeah, and she has been such a gift to us and to the thousands of clinicians that she shared her story with. Yeah, you know, we actually met Vicki um, over 15 years ago, and I met her first uh, through my husband, who um, helps people with disabilities and homes. And he was introduced to Vicki and her family through a physical therapist that we know. And he would come home and say, Michelle, you have got to meet this family. And he'd tell me a little bit about them. And then a few weeks later, he'd come home and say, really, you have to meet this family. Because he knew of the work we were doing to help transform healthcare, and he knew they had a place in it. And so Vicki then, um, we went and met uh, her and her family, and then she joined Tracy and I and the team of people we worked with to really tell her story throughout the world, actually, and became a patient partner. And over the years, we have learned more and more about her story, and she has become more and more open. And as proven again today, it's still a story that needs to be told. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, I don't think I've ever been in an audience where her story isn't told, where everybody's you know racing for the Kleenex box, you know? Because yeah. it's, it's just very touching. You know, to have your whole life turned upside down in a moment, um, you know, it's it's phenomenal. And to, to share it so openly and vulnerably, right? Yeah. And uh, she um, she's such a strong patient advocate, and she's taken on that role into, like, who she is now. And uh, you and I both had the privilege of being with her this last March when she joined the National Academies of Practice. And not only was the closing keynote speaker on uh, her speech was, I hope you dance a person-centered journey for quality healthcare. And there wasn't, you could hear a pin drop in the room with her story, which you're going to hear a little bit about on the podcast today. But also she went to the Hill with us and she proudly was just wheeling through the halls in the in Washington DC telling everyone how important person-centered and interprofessional care is so she's been a real gift to many people in healthcare yes so let me tell you a little bit about Vicky's background and then we will turn it over to hear Vicky uh, Vicki graduated with her bachelor's in marketing management in 1988 from Florida State University College of Business, and shortly afterwards, she met her husband and relocated to Michigan, where she received her real estate license and became the COO of their business in building property management. She also worked at a women's health center as a receptionist and surgery scheduler. 
Following her significant accident, Vicki has provided one-on-one support to many paraplegic patients and their families. In 2004, she partnered with the CPM Resource Center to share her story with thousands of healthcare providers across the nation to bring the message of what is needed to give the best quality care possible. In 2009, she began competing around the nation in the USTA Wheelchair Tennis Women's A Division. Vicki was instrumental in the growth of the division, and in 2014, she finished the year at the top for singles and doubles with the number one ranking. Woohoo! Go, Vicki! Oh, you go, girl. She's phenomenal. So our conversation with Vicki today, we uh, learned about her story, which you'll hear, and then we spent some time talking about a very important polarity, which is the clinician safety and patient safety polarity. And she brings some very unique insights into that. So without further ado, let's listen to Vicki. Vicki, thank you so much for being with us today. This is Michelle, and I'm here with Tracy. It's yes. great to be with you, Vicki. Thank you so much for, for taking. Yeah, thanks so much for taking time to um, really come on our podcast, share your story, tell us lessons you've learned around patient safety and clinician safety. And uh, we're really looking forward to having a great conversation with you today. But before we get started, we have always been so amazed at the adventurous life that you have led. And we were just curious if you've been up to any new adventures lately, like skydiving or tennis matches or traveling. What have you been up to? <laughs> oh, nothing too exciting, but it's been really fun. I've been uh, just went down to Texas for a few weeks and was visiting family, hanging out in the hill country and um, take trying to learn how to do Zumba from a wheelchair and how I could adapt that and maybe hopefully bring that to Michigan. Oh, wow. That would be really cool. See, you're always doing something unique and inventive. I mean, oh, my gosh. And I, I knew if we answered that question, there'd be something else she's up to. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh. Thanks for trying to keep up with me. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I can't. <laughs> uh, so, um, Vicki, your story has touched so many clinicians throughout the years, thousands and thousands. And, uh, of course, we've had the privilege of working with you in many different venues and formats. And we wanted to start our podcast today with you just telling your story. We know that you've been you know, part of the healthcare system actually since birth and most recently, um, you know, often over the last 18 years. And, uh, and we want our listeners to know that Vicki's story is very powerful. There's so many lessons in it, and she's such a great advocate for patient safety. Uh, and we just want to open it up to you to let us know um, your experiences with the healthcare system. So my first experience with the medical field came early in life. In 1964, I was born in Austin, Texas, uh, 10 weeks premature and uh, weighing just over three pounds, uh, given a one in four chance of living. When I finally started walking at 18 months, my goal was to catch up with my big brother and then competitively try to surpass him. Uh, My grandmother had always told me I was a fighter, but I never really knew what she meant. Later on in life, she was proven right. I met Terry right after college. It was the summer of 88. I was still living in Florida after earning my bachelor's at Florida State University. Out of the blue, my mother called to tell me that she and her husband had a scuba diving friend she wanted me to meet. I was reluctant because she had set me up a few times before with disastrous results. I finally relented and she flew me to Michigan to visit her and meet this man. After a two-week visit, I went back to Florida, packed up my belongings in a U-Haw trailer. I hit the road with my cat and my poodle, and I never looked back. Terry and I were married shortly after, and were living in Lansing. Those early years were spent running our building and remodeling business and scuba diving every chance we got. After we had our children, it became a natural decision to move north, relocate our business, and live at the lake full-time. This put us closer to the beauty and fun which was also ripe with opportunity to grow and thrive. It seemed like a dream life to us. We had everything we desired, mostly each other. Then on August 10th, 2001, life as we knew it changed forever. A road defect caused our vehicle to leave the pavement. 
flip end over end three times before being stopped by a tree. I woke to the sound of my son's voice. Mom, where's dad? I opened my eyes and it felt as if the world was shattering into a million pieces. I was in excruciating pain. It was hard to breathe and I couldn't get my bearings because everything was upside down. When I realized that Terry was no longer in the vehicle, I was filled with dread. We must have been in an accident, and if Terry isn't here with the kids and I, then he was ejected at 55 miles per hour. No one could survive that. My mind was racing. Is this the end for Terry and I? Is this how my life would end, with my children being orphans? This I could not accept. Before I could fully comprehend all that it would mean, I made a vow. I would survive and I would accept whatever limitations I had in order to raise my children. At that moment, I wasn't certain of Terry's survival, but I was of my own. I would find a way. Terry was found on the ground near the vehicle. Both of his lungs had collapsed, but somehow he was still breathing on his own. The first car to pass the accident had two nurses inside and they were now attending to him, waiting for help to arrive. He was taken away by ambulance first. However, he was, as he was being secured in the helicopter at the hospital, it was discovered that his spleen had ruptured and he was rushed into surgery. Back at the accident site, they used the jaws of life to cut the roof off to allow access to Tori and me. They put me in one ambulance and the two kids in another. Terry arrived in Saginaw in a comatose state and was non-responsive. He was admitted to the neuro ICU. The initial CAT scan and MRI showed multiple cranial hemorrhages. Every part of his brain had been damaged, even his brain stem. He had multiple rib fractures, which had punctured both lungs. He was intubated and placed on a respirator and then later given a trach. His pelvis had been crushed. A feeding tube was inserted and a Foley catheter placed. His initial, his initial, Glasgow motor scale, which ranges from 3 to 15, was a 3, showing that he had no eye, verbal, or motor response. He was not expected to live. I had multiple fractures over my body and face, a collapsed lung, a cervical fracture, and a mild brain injury, which wouldn't be diagnosed until much later. A spinal cord injury at thoracic 5-6 would be my most significant trauma causing paraplegia. I laid flat on my back for weeks, waiting to be strong enough for the brain stabilization surgery. Shortly after being admitted to the neuro ICU, I was intubated, which caused me extreme anguish. When you are stripped of everything that matters to you, when you are facing death and you are completely dependent on others, there is a desperate need, a desperation to create a human connection with the person you are dependent on. Your, your survival depends on it. You have to make certain that that person in front of you that is caring for you actually cares. Patient-centered care means everything when your life or that of, the, of a loved one is on the line. I began writing on notepad after notepad, desperate for you to know our story. I wanted you to know who we were, why we mattered, and what mattered most to us. I wanted you to care. I wanted you to care about us, to know how strong we were, and to give us every chance that we could to recover, to know that we were the parents of two small, beautiful children who needed us both. The beginning of September, a month out from the accident, I was taken two hours away to the west side of the state, to a rehabilitation hospital. There, I would begin to heal, to learn to accept my new condition and regain my independence. This was acute rehabilitation with six hours a day of physical, occupational, and recreational therapy. They also provided me with driver's rehabilitation and neuropsychiatry and psychology. With each new complication came a new specialist and team. I had entered your world, a complex system of which I knew little. I had never felt more vulnerable or dependent in my life. However, I knew that no matter how much any of you attended to us, you couldn't care more than I did. Yet I knew I was dependent on you and that each one of you would affect my outcome. I 
hoped that the entire team was informed and up to date with our evolving complicated conditions. Most importantly, I wanted to be informed, to become aware and to be a part of the team. I wanted to have access to our records instead of a printed report here or there. I wanted to be able to make informed decisions, to know the alternatives, the possible complications and all of the possibilities, even if it was outside of your realm. I wanted the best of care. I wanted the best out of each and every one of you. Wow, Vicki. That's such a powerful, powerful, you know, story to go from living the life of having everything that you wanted to and having everything turned upside down in just, you know, moments, right? Um, and can you just say a little bit about um, what Terry's condition was when you moved to the rehab hospital? What was, what was the outcome for Terry? It was very, very grim at first. Um, I did, um, I was at, I was in the rehabilitation hospital for about a month when I just couldn't stand it any longer. I was, it was hard for me to get updates and he wasn't coming out of the coma. And I would call in the evenings after, you know, I got settled after my therapy and I would you know, try to have some connection with him and contact by phone or uh, to get updates from, from nursing or family if, if they could stop in. Um, but I just felt very disconnected. And so I had requested a, a meeting of with his doctors and, and the main care providers there. And that doctor told me that he most likely would not live. And he had now developed uh, some other conditions, you know, with a, a pulmonary condition and infection in his lungs that would probably, if he did live from the, the brain injury, that he'd probably die from that. And if, if he didn't die, that um, his condition would be so bad that I wished, that I would have wished that he had died. So, um, that was pretty terrifying news, um, but it, you know, it's. I guess I, I tried to take take that to motivate me. It made me angry, and um, and it gave me something to focus on. And the anger was actually motivating for a while, although probably not the healthiest long term. And I I did resolve that, and I looked at it as actually a gift from him, from that doctor, even though. It was very hard to hear and wasn't the most sensitive thing to say. Uh, but after that meeting, I went to see Terry and I brought the kids in with me and I just begged him to live. And I, I reached, you know, I, I squeezed his hand. I told him I'm alive. I'm, I can't be here. I'm across the state fighting, you know, for my life and to get out. And we need you and you need to live. And so I went back to Mary Freebed and pretty certain that he would not live. And the next day he began his slow awakening out of his coma. And uh, he, he's still very injured and has a very complicated life and it requires a lot of support to, you know, uh, to go about each day, but he's, he's remarkable. And he never gives up. Oh, just like you. Well. Yeah. yeah. Just like you. You both were fighters. And uh, your story just, there's so many messages in it. And yeah. I just really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing it with our audience and with us again. And I think one of the things over the years that we've been engaged with you and Terry and your family is just, you know, your incredible willingness um, to teach us. And to help us understand what healthcare uh, looks like from the patient's perspective, and how devastating these things are for you—not just physically, right, but emotionally, spiritually—and um, and just being willing to um, to open up our perspective to what that really looks like and feels like uh, from that angle, right, from that mm -hmm. side of the bed, so to speak, and. Um, and I think, too, just your willingness to um, not blame, but to understand uh, and to be a learner yourself around the complexities of healthcare 
and how that impacts, you know, uh, you as a recipient. And I just think that that's, you know, um, just a wonderful thing on your part uh, to be open because you've had some of the very best care. And in some cases, as you just said, maybe some of the not so best care, right? And, um, and so, you know, and I think one of the things that you did that I, I thought was really great was that you and your daughter, uh, Tori, came to the um, Interprofessional Institute for Polarity Thinking and Healthcare and at Grand Valley and to learn about polarities and, and how that actually plays out in your life as you continue to be a recipient of healthcare um, and an advocate, right, uh, as well. And I just wondered, you know, as a, as a part of that experience, well, maybe was a takeaway that you had, uh, something that maybe you experienced there that was meaningful to you around polarities and healthcare? It was very enlightening um, and made a lot of sense, even though at first it, it seemed complex. Um, polarities are just a natural process in life, and I think a beautiful way to look at life and any challenges that, you know, in any, um, you know, systems and challenges or it, personally or in our professional lives or you know, in or entering a medical, you know, they, I, it's an honor for me to have our story be something of, of an example or a resource to others, uh, an enlightenment for them, or that could inspire others to to do better, um, or to also pat themselves on the back for getting things right, and just for. Uh, to me, people that go into healthcare are the most honorable of people and have good intentions, and I I believe that's why they entered the prof- you know their professions, and that that's beautiful um, and and powerful. And you know, it, I, it's sad when I saw people that lost their passion and lost that spark. And I saw people at different times in their career or in different healthcare systems where they weren't supported and to see what that did to someone, um, to, to the worker, you know, to the clinician that was with me or even with my own care. Like if they weren't, weren't supported, I wasn't either. And to realize after studying uh, polarity. I might by no means an expert, but you do realize how you are, the the systems are connected or the two, you know, patient safety and clinician safety, they are related. And how if you're out in balance in one, they can, um, you know, make it create an imbalance in the other as well. But also, yeah, how you can grow, uh, be stronger together. And if one's supported, often the other will be as well. Well, Vicki, it really was such an honor to have you and Tori attend the Polarity Thinking Institute last summer. And um, it's our wish that more patients and families would be a part of that because as you've taught us in many other ways, I think just having dialogue around the common polarities, we could learn so much more from each other, tap so much more wisdom. And I really appreciated what you said too, that polarities aren't just something that clinicians deal with professionally, but like all of us, we all deal with polarities personally as well. So there's a lot we can learn from each other. And today we want to focus on the patient safety and clinician safety polarity. And we suspect that you know quite a bit about this polarity (laughs) from your experiences and recognizing that there is a connection between the two. And was wondering if you could just share with us um, what patient safety means to you. To me, it means, I, I guess it starts with being heard, um, you know, with having a voice and feeling like that you are empowered within that system, that you're being considered and having that comfort, you know, is the beginning of it, I believe. Um, but also having, uh, the, the communication, I guess, and, and being a part of that communication and being, to me, that created the most, um, the gaps in care is when 
you know, I, I, it was injured in 2001 and there wasn't an, an easy way of keeping records. And it, it just was very troubling to me to realize over time how large my medical record had become. And I didn't know how they were getting the information that they needed out of that huge, huge, you know, stack of records. And it would be troubling to me and how they were communicating and in different, different institutions or systems, you know, I could see where it was handled better um, or more efficiently and where they had the correct information and it was accessible to them and to me. And that ideally creates the best of care, I believe. Um, because when a new person would come on, say, for a shift and they didn't know anything or they were getting parts of my condition wrong, you know, I it just created an anxiety in me at times or an awareness that I had to advocate for myself and I had to be considered and, and part of the team and I actually the quarterback of the team in a way, if I, you know, it's my body and my decisions and I wanted to, to make the decisions, not someone else. And if I was ever cut out is when I felt like I lost control. And if, if I wasn't in a system that was sustainable or had, you know, they were, they weren't commuted. I don't know. I, I, it's hard to, I guess, to, to say, but it really came down to communication between them and and no having access to records and knowing my conditions and not missing something because it was always changing and complications arose time and again. Right. So it's I think it for me it takes me right back to know my story, mm -hmm. right? Know me, know my story and give me a voice, you know? I need a voice mm -hmm. in my own care and I think you're right. It's not any one thing, you know. We can't just say it's X right? Or Y or Z. It's a, it's complex and it's a multitude of things that help us to feel safe uh, as patients and, and clinicians as well. Um, so when you think about that, when you think about um, times when there was an emphasis on your safety, what were some of the outcomes that you would say you experienced as a positive, you know, outcome of, of your safety in the healthcare system? If you can think of a few things that would represent that? I think a big part of it was um, being educated on what to look for. Um, and I guess um, the, them taking the time to, to realize what I, I could handle, you know, and what I wanted. And, and I know that's different for everyone. And I, I probably go, relates right back to the story and the patient telling you, you know, what they want, what they can handle and learning that over time or helping them pull it out of them because they're in a new situation or, you know, uh, out of their mind or, you know, in, in such pain, they can't even communicate. Or, um, so it's like helping just to creating that, that education and that that's empowering for the patient and to kind of put some of the burden on them because we want that. Because um, it give it, it feels powerful, and that you do you are in control of your destiny somewhat, even though you are dependent. Um, I guess that's a polarity there. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is good one, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh, allowing me the independence and giving me the education in order to to know so that if if something does go wrong, I've been. I've been educated. I've been become, I've now aware of this system in place so that if something happens, I'll know because you've taught me. Yeah. And it's that shared responsibility, it, it, right? Yeah. For your, yeah. for your health and well-being. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We actually have, uh, two podcast, uh, guest interviews related to polarities that you're talking about right now. And one of them is the technology platform, practice platform, and, you know, you, we've talked about this before, that as a patient, you've lived through that transition from the big paper charts that were in medical records and the concern of people finding your story in the midst of all of those pages. And now, um, you know, now being able to 
leverage technology in your, you know, taking care of your own health. So you've lived through that as a patient. And that's, that's a polarity right now for clinicians because we recognize we have to have the technology and continue to improve that. And we also have to have to always be improving our practice at the same time, right? Yeah. Well, I think it shows too that you know, polarities overlap. Yes. So a part of the patient safety, clinician safety involves the technology and practice platform polarity, right? So they're interrelated. They impact each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where it gets complex, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it does. And Vicki, yeah. just, just uh, as you talked about, you know, the positive things about keeping you safe, we also know that it's really important that the clinicians have what they need and that they're safe in providing patient care as well. And um, some of the things that are really important from a clinician perspective, and Tracy being a respiratory therapist and me being a nurse, we really recognize that um, the safer we are, the safer we can provide patient care. So an example of that is, you know, having the evidence-based resources so that when we're caring for you, we really know how to prevent complications. And that translates into what we teach you, right? That we're teaching you the most uh, important things to look out for. We're really watching out for you. And clinicians also really need to work in good work environments. Healthy work environments are really critical for clinicians. It helps prevent some of that burnout that you were describing earlier as well, right? And um, that we have everything from the equipment we need to care for patients to the the culture, the partnership infrastructure, how well we work together is critically important too as clinicians. Um, so the greater purpose of managing this whole patient safety and clinician safety polarity is to create that culture of safety um, for both those that give and receive care. So um, they're both really, really important. And we know from knowing your story that uh, you had at least one experience that made you question how safe you were as a patient. Um, when that education really came kicked in for you, um, tell us a little bit what it was like when you felt very vulnerable and your safety was at risk. I mean, it was in the middle of my um, the rehab journey, um, that rehab portion where I was um, trying to recover as much as I could and become independent once again. Um, and it was on a Friday and, you know, you would go Monday through Friday and you'd have a very full schedule, you know, morning um, and afternoon. And it would usually be a, it was a set team that, it, you know, it, it, that would come. And, but on the weekends you would have like a skeleton crew where different people, you know, different doctor would cover and you'd have different um, nursing or nursing assistants, sometimes um, even contract type, you know, workers would have to fill in. And, and so that was where I had to really, I be, I felt at that time, and especially at this one incident that I will share with you, how how important it was and how thankful I was for that education that I had been given on, on learning what to look out for in my own, with my own conditions. And one of the, the greatest risks for me was um, developing um, blood clots because I was, um, you know, so much more sedentary. It was and my circulation was so compromised with the spinal cord injury. And uh, part of, of that healing can be, the, you know, that I could develop a blood clot. Um, and so they, cause they, I, what they would do it, I thought it was so funny. And at first maybe I, I didn't ask or I didn't remember it was so out of it, but they made marks on my legs and they would measure them each week. And I said, why do, why are you doing this? What are you doing? You know? And they'd always make these little Sharpie marks and like, you know, try not to wash that off, you know, during the week so they can measure it from right there again. And so, um, you know, as they did that, you know, I, I became aware of that. And, and uh, so it was a Friday and um, I was heading back from therapy, after, you know, after the day. And I noticed that my um, 
left leg was really swollen and hot. And, and I knew what that meant because they, I had learned that and been taught that. So I was thinking, okay, here, I'm getting a dang, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a blood clot. So I told the nurse that night, my, you know, um, nurse tech and, and she checked, you know, oh, okay, I'll check with the doctor. And, you know, nothing really happened that evening. And so the next morning, my leg is still hot. It's still swollen and actually seems worse. And I had, um, you know, the nurse come in and she wanted to get me up to get ready for therapy, for the Saturday therapy, which wouldn't be quite as much. It would be a different therapist. So everybody's, it's a new team going on. And so I, um, she's wanting me to get ready for therapy. And I knew one of the things I shouldn't do was move around if I had a blood clot and, and until it was diagnosed. And, and so I told her, I, I, you know, until I haven't seen my doctor yet. And I think I need to be evaluated here. So I'm not going to go to therapy until I have that. Well, she left the room. She had called the doctor on call and comes back in and said, well, he thinks you're going to be just fine and you can go on down to therapy. And I've refused. I said, that's not good enough. And I, this needs to be evaluated. I need to, we need to know what this is and I'm not going to move until we do. And I didn't go to therapy that whole weekend. Um, even though I was encouraged multiple times to over the course of the weekend and the month and on Monday with my regular team back in place, um, they were, you know, immediately concerned and it was, I was diagnosed that I did have a blood clot. So it really, it shows to me where it can go wrong and where, where you got it right at educating me, but where it went wrong. And that was in the communication process that they, they, it failed. Yeah. Well, and listening to you, right. And respecting your knowledge as an educated patient. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's easy. Well, it's easy to stand back and say, oh, that's, you know, what's wrong, but it's just an example of things that happen every single day, right. That just the complexity of mm-hmm. healthcare and different clinicians, not having the story, not having the consistent information, you know, and in in this case, I really believe just not listening, mm-hmm. right, to somebody who mm-hmm. really knew themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we underestimate what those that receive care, the patients that we care for, what they really know about themselves and their own body and how they're responding to things and to really take heed and to listen to them as a, you know, as an advocate for themselves as well, you know, um, for their own safety. So what a scary, scary um, incident for you. It was, I was, I was terrified. I didn't, you know, certainly didn't want to die from this and I knew, you know, I could yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was scary. Cause... Well, and I applaud your resilience yeah. <laughs> to stand firm in what you knew was right for you. I mean, you know, in that case, it certainly was right for you. And uh, and I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> I wouldn't want to miss the opportunity nice, you to know, know what, you. <laughs> That's right. What I love is, is uh, in learning about this polarity thinking is that I realized, you know, just it, it's it's good because in that story, it, it shows you know, the strengths and the weaknesses in, in one instance and in, of one, you know, system and yeah, yeah. where they yeah. thankfully had enough things in place that I was saved. Right. Know, even though they had a great error and failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I think one of the things that I think is remarkable is, you know, what we know in polarities, right. Both are equally important. One's not more important than the other, and we have to take actions. We have to make sure we're vigilant about keeping both strong. And um, and I think one of the things that I think is interesting is when Michelle and I, you know, engage with healthcare clinicians and leaders from all over the country, and it seems like every time we have the conversation, we ask, you know, where's the emphasis in your organization on, you know, when it comes to patient safety or clinician safety, where's the emphasis? And the emphasis always seems to be more heavily on patient safety 
than it is more on the clinician. And it's needed, so it's not, I'm not saying that's not, that's right. obviously, right, um, in your example here as well. But there is, I think it's important to just recognize that if we overemphasize, there is a downside to that, that there is there are negative consequences when we overfocus on patient safety. And sometimes that's, you know, again, not having access to the evidence, you know, the evidence-based resources. Um, and, uh, you know, so clinicians can, right, provide that kind of care. Um, also, you know, just work environments not being safe and, and not having the infrastructures, really, that clinicians need, right, to support that learning and that evolution of their professional practice. And um, so I think those are, I think it's just important to point out, we do, there are those downsides to both, right, just as there are downsides if we over-focus on, you know, clinician safety, so. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. story really points that out very, very well. So unquestionably, we Mm -hmm. know that we need to keep patients safe and we need to keep clinicians safe. And uh, Vicki, you probably aren't even aware of this, um, but your accident was in 2001. And I actually left my position at the hospital and joined Bonnie Wazorek and the CPM Resource Center team in 2001. And the week that I did that... um, the Institute of Medicine came out with a brand new report called Crossing the Quality Chasm, and it was a landmark report. And Tracy and I and our team, we referred to it frequently um, in our work out working with healthcare clinicians all over the country. And it was so significant because it, uh, in a very salient way, pointed out a lot of the issues in healthcare and cited patient safety and all the errors, the medical errors, the errors that occur um, how we really needed to address that. And mm-hmm. it also pointed out that on the clinician side that we really need to have healing relationships, continuous healing relationships, and clinicians needed to practice from an evidence-based um, you know, have evidence-based practice really based on the latest evidence and scientific evidence. So that report was very significant in our work in the field and just, you know, going full speed ahead to today, we still have work to do, right? And I think, and Tracy and I talk about this a lot, while we recognize patient safety is really important, and yes, clinician safety is really important, it's are we looking at them together? Are we looking at our own work environments and what patients need to stay safe and at the same time looking at what clinicians need to stay safe? And so those action steps that Tracy were talk- was talking about, I think, are really, really critical. What are we putting in place in our work environments to keep them both strong? And can we, as an organization, identify the early warning signs when we might be over-focusing at one pole at the neglect of the other. And we could do a whole other podcast on that. Yeah, and we will. <laughs> because there's a lot to... I would be very interested to know yeah, the, the action steps and yeah, how are clinicians being... Because I, I believe how, you know, their safety is so critical in their support and their mindset and yeah, keeping their passion. And you, know, you want to be in a place... You want to receive care at a place like that. I I know the the difference, and everyone does. That's gone anywhere for any care. You go to in one system, you can feel it from the moment you in, you enter through those doors, or you get that first phone call, and that first connection. You can just tell is if that person's happy. The person checking you in, the guy sweeping the floor up as you go by. You know. Every, Every single person, they're, how they're treated and the energy they give off, you feel it. And if, and it just is completely different in a beautiful, well-supported place where the employees are happy. That's where the patients want to be too. And that's where the best care is. That's such great insight to share with everybody. You know, that, you know, um, patients and families know. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you can't you hide know. it. It's like, it's sad when you, when it's not there and you don't like to see that side of humanity, you know, people overworked and unrespected and you know, they're not respected and they're not heard. And then, you know, you're not probably going to receive that either if they can't take, you know, care of 
themselves first. You know, you can't, like they say, you can't take care of anyone to take care of yourself. And I think that's true with healthcare systems. Well, and I think it brings up another polarity, which is the patient satisfaction and clinician satisfaction polarity. So they're all interrelated. You know, one influences the other, which influences another. And this is, again, right where it gets complex. But you just bring forth how significant these are. And these interdependent relationships, you know, we we tend to overemphasize um, you know, the patient side of things, because that's why we're here as clinicians is to care for patients, right? And so from an organizational perspective, there's a lot of drivers around taking care of the patient, making sure the patient's safe, making sure they're satisfied. And all those things are extremely important. And I think you bring a very unique perspective into the importance of those. Um, but, but it's not at the cost of the clinician safety satisfaction, right? It's, it's, the interdependence, it's the both and that is just so significant and and challenging to do, right? Challenging to manage. Mm-hmm. Well, it just really I think so- the human resource is the most beautiful resource, do you know? And, and yeah. those human resources are the most valuable and that's what most touches others too. And that's was the most important to me were those human relationships that I, you know, that that I didn't create, we created, you know, that were created. And that that is what, um, that's what propelled me and gave me my drive to keep going was, you know, having those, because that's what I needed at that time, especially I I couldn't have been further on my back and, and needing, you know, some connection and guidance and respect and love. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for validating that because I've often said, you know, you can do all the testing you want, all the surgeries you want, whatever it is, right? What patients really want is they want to be connected to another human being at the most difficult time in their life or one of the Mm -hmm. most challenging times in their life. That's what they want. They want to know you authentically care and that you're there for them. So thanks for validating that. <laughs> yeah. And thank you so much, Vicki, for sharing your story with us today and for really highlighting the significant polarity in healthcare, um, patient safety and clinician safety. And we'd love to have you back on a future podcast. <laughs> Definitely. We were, we, were, we were wondering, um, and just closing um, today, just what, any last advice that you'd like to give to our listeners? And your listeners are clinicians, right? Yeah, clinicians, <laughs> leaders, leaders. Yeah, could maybe, be other patients. Could be patients. <laughs> yeah, few patients like me now. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Oh gosh. You know, I I I just find it really intriguing, and I think it's very helpful the way that um, organizations are being created and recreated now with these type of principles um, that it's the times are changing. They, that all of you are making a difference that are trying, you know, that are, they, they get it and have come from, from the field and are now part of the change instead of some uh, textbook type thing, or do, you know, you all have lived this and care about it. And just, I guess it really is just the keeping the humanity of it and, uh, and valuing that and realizing how important it is. And I think that it's really evident from, from what you're studying and and learning, like what I did about what evidence-based practice really was. And I just love that. It was like the three, the three legged stool and how, if you, if you have, you know, one of the three principles missing and one was the patient. And, you know, it's like, oh, there, you know, I have a leg. So I guess I just, I really, I think it's intriguing to the, and I, I, it gives me hope and I, and I've seen progress already. And, and I think that we can do great things with this new te- technology and we should, and, and, but it is growing everything together and not in considering every part. And I think that polarity thinking 
helps you consider these different systems that, that are part of the greater system of creating the best places for care. Well, thanks so much, Vicki, for being with us and sharing your wisdom. And I think, you know, again, one of the biggest takeaways is just the power of story the power of your story and of knowing your story, of knowing any patient's story, and the ongoing story, our collective story of who we are and who we're becoming in healthcare. And thank you so much for teaching us and for being a part of our lives. Yeah, Vicki, I also want to thank you so much. You've become um, just such a dear friend over the years, too. And when I listen to you again today, my key takeaway is how powerful the stories are over time. And they don't, you know, so often we look at the, you know, the whole patient experience as just that episode of time when, when they're right in front of us. And you always remind me that it's really a story over time. And I learn something every time I'm with you. I learn new things again today. And just want to thank you for sharing your wisdom and and being so open with your story because you really do touch the hearts and souls of many, many people. Thank you. That's empowering for me. It gives me, yeah, I get much more out of it. So thank you. I've learned so much and fills me up. So yes, thanks for caring so much and for making a difference. You are. (laughs) Well, thank you so much again, Vicki. You have a wonderful day and we'll have you back on Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast again in the future. Oh, definitely. (laughs) Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in today. If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also, go out to iTunes and rate the show and share a review because we really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, you can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.